0: Hearing in the Scripture this morning will be two familiar voices to many of you. I have invited Don Scott and Jennifer Gilbert St. John to lead in our reading this morning, traditional Palm Sunday readings from the Gospel of
1: Mark. Good morning. The lesson from Scripture for this Palm Sunday is in the book of Mark, chapter 11, beginning with the first verse. When they were approaching Jerusalem, at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately." They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told him what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve.
2: While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me, for you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could, she has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her.
0: That was really wonderful. For each and all of us, as we are well aware, things are a little different these days than they have been in any other Palm Sunday time that we have lived. These are very odd times indeed. Bored and tense, busy for others, but perhaps very socially distanced, digitally connected, but still apart, We are living through a strange time of disease and digital wizardry. A Washington Post writer this past week wrote that through these days of social distancing, our minds, he says, our minds are like whirling hamster wheels of worry and distraction. Stopping it all for just a moment to focus on the moment. On the hidden beauty of just being is in and of itself a healthy act. It feels like a reset that comes from like unplugging a cord from an appliance, interrupting a circuit. A common enough experience for those who meditate and for those who regularly pray, but it somehow resists description without seeming esoteric, like I am likely sounding now. Well, the fact is we all one way or another are a bit disoriented in the midst of this COVID-19 shutdown. Doing worship seated in your living room or your kitchen or your den. Maybe your video or your audio feed isn't the greatest. That happens. We will get through this together. Now, as I mentioned last week, this orientation is a clear feature of these times, both in our shutdown mode and in our Christian season of Lent. Things are not always as they seem. Life has more meaning than we normally see, and God, God is more present in our midst than we are ever aware. The story of the first Palm Sunday is a case study of an event that had far more meaning than anyone taking part in it knew, that is, except for one. As Reverend Dr. Tom Wong, a great preacher who came to us a few years ago, actually, He points out to those who study this passage that the minor details in it are amazingly important. As a master storyteller, Mark reports how it was that as Jesus ready to descend the Mount of Olives to enter Jerusalem, he first sent two of his disciples to fetch a colt, the foal of a donkey. This might seem like a seemingly minor matter of logistics, but in rereading through the lesson this week, over half of Mark's story of Jesus' entry into the city about particular details on acquiring this animal. Where to go to find it, what kind of cult to seek, what to do, what to say. Though no one knows what these two disciples were thinking, I have to imagine that they had envisioned a bigger role for themselves in this grand entrance than being on donkey detail. Mark doesn't name these disciples, but it might well have been James and John Who only hours before had said to Jesus, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus sometimes had an ironic twist to him. But it really doesn't matter which two disciples they were. All of the disciples had been jockeying for an advantage, angling for glory, arguing about who was the greatest. So it is fitting that on this high and holy day in Jesus' ministry, a day when he was welcomed into Jerusalem with joyous hosannas, two of his devoted disciples found themselves engaged in a simple, mundane form of ministry, searching for an animal, looking suspiciously like horse thieves, trying to wrestle an untamed and no doubt bulky donkey toward the olive groves. You have to ask, for this? They left their fishing nets? Now, you might wonder why Mark sets this donkey-seeking task as a crucial piece of advanced planning. For what it's worth, in contrast, in the Gospel of John, Jesus begins his entry into Jerusalem on foot. The donkey enters the picture only afterwards, when the crowd begins to get caught up in palm-waving, nationalistic, New king-wishing zeal. At that point, Jesus finds the donkey, not a stallion, but a donkey. He finds it on his own, and he sits on it as if to say, I'm not the kind of king that you expect. In John, acquiring the donkey is something that Jesus himself does as a dramatic gesture, as the clear symbol of his humility in the face of potentially revolutionary misunderstanding. But in Mark, for us now, finding the donkey seems more like a delegated assignment, something like what the Worship Council and our new digital worship planning team do in preparation for this Palm Sunday service, just one of the many necessary and backstage details of church work that are required, but is not the real action in and of itself, except that it is. Without the planning, nothing happens. So kudos again to Emily and Chris. Now, let me share with you a little story about a donkey, the best one I've ever really heard. It comes from one of my preaching buddies, wonderful guy named Rob Elder, who's now retired from when he served at the First Presbyterian Church in Salem, Oregon. Their building, and I haven't been there, but I trust the story well, I've Googled this this week to see where the church is. It's situated across the street from one of the largest Catholic parishes in the state. The priest there at the time was a very gregarious fellow, and he initiated an early morning joint Palm Sunday celebration at his church, inviting pastors and congregations from churches in the immediate area. Presbyterians and Lutherans and American Baptists and Methodists and United Church of Christ folks, they had a short service early to bless the Palms, with one of the visiting pastors delivering a few opening words. And then after the palms were blessed, a prayer was said, and everybody exited the sanctuary in a processional around the block. And as they reached each corner, members of the churches would then leave the procession to go to their own church. Well, one year, the priest decided it would be fun to have a donkey make the trip around the block with them. He led the donkey at the head of the procession and a news photographer from the local paper got a smiling picture of him with the donkey. In the paper the next day, a photo pictured Father Jacob Berger and donkey side by side on the front page with this caption, "Worshippers depart St. Joseph's Church following an ecumenical Palm Sunday service. Father Jacob Berger is on the left. You're allowed to laugh if you want a giggle. Now, as Rob remarked, They never again were accompanied by another donkey. It is hard for anyone, even Jesus, to upstage a donkey. Now, for those of you in Second Church, you might remember just a few weeks ago, it seems almost a lifetime ago now, we included in our worship service the ordination service of the Presbyterian Church USA. And our officer candidates were asked, as they are always asked every year when we do this, They're going to ask this question, will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to love your neighbors and work for the reconciliation of the world? Will you seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Now, these words are both aspirational and practical. The language implies that following Jesus is a high calling filled with global transformation in the name of Jesus Christ. Never once is it mentioned that serving people with energy, imagination, and love often boils down to things like delivering flowers to folks who maybe aren't quite sure of who you are, or sitting through meetings that, yes, sometimes seem to go way off topic, and yes, setting a good, consistent example of leadership just by showing up as much as anything else. And as two of Jesus' disciples found out, finding a suitable donkey at the last minute. With this simple task assigned to the disciples, Mark shares his best practical theology. He begins his gospel with a call to prepare the way of the Lord. But he makes it clear throughout the rest of the story that the way to do this is through clear, everyday, humble, routine tasks. The disciples in Mark get a boat ready for Jesus. They find out how much food is on hand for the multitude. They secure the room and prepare the table for the last supper. And of course, they chase down a much needed donkey. Whatever they may have heard in Jesus' words, follow me, it led them into the work of handling the essential details of everyday life. Mark understands preparing the way of the Lord, as Tom Long again notes, as the preparation of the Lord's way as the arrangements people make for the ministry of Jesus. There is no more apt description of what we as disciples are called to do. This means two things. On the one hand, we are called to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry, and it is Christ's ministry not ours, that it is all about. We are donkey fetchers. On the other hand, because we are, in ways often hidden even from our own eyes, preparing the way of the Lord, the routine, seemingly mundane, donkey-fetching details of our lives are really and truly part of the ongoing mission of Jesus in the world. There is really no active caring too small for Jesus. That's the truth. At first in Mark's gospel, the disciples are sent out to proclaim the gospel, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to share resources. But Mark wants us to know that what this means and what this looks like are most often very quiet, even nameless acts in Mark's world, preparing the way of the Lord may look like standing in the mire of some stable trying to corral a donkey for Jesus. Or, as our passage continues, it could look and smell like the woman with the costly oil, personally and generously sharing her gift with Jesus. Now, there was a time, as I've read this passage through the years, there was a time when the fact that this woman with the oil was unnamed was all that I could see in this passage. The apparent unfairness of nameless fame was first and foremost in my mind. But over time, and particularly this week, I've come to view this scene as a chance to see something else of perhaps even myself in her. This woman honors Jesus with a generous outpouring of herself that fills a room with a sweet fragrance, Her action is an oasis of honor in a desert of brewing abandonment, thinking about the events of this week to come. While the other disciples were clueless about what is going to happen next in Jesus' life, this woman had some sixth sense about events to come, and she took an opportunity to honor him. Despite the gathering clouds and the darkness crowding in against Jesus, she manages to find a way to anoint him with a soothing, fragrant ointment. She doesn't ask for fame. Instead, she models an action for you and me to do the same. The fact is that we have more fragrant gifts to share than we know. The smell of a casserole brought to a friend or someone maybe we've never met. Flowers delivered at the door a contribution made to a now shuttered nonprofit like Manahouse House or GEDCO or the YMCA and our own congregation as well, which can use all the help that we can get and that we can give. Jesus must have taken a very deep breath before he did what he did on that first Palm Sunday, taking that donkey ride. The details that he set in motion may have seemed small, but they were lastingly important. And the celebration that took place then has been remembered ever since. This morning, in our own small way, we continue our journey with Jesus in this small but exceedingly important way, celebrating God's Word and Spirit, and even sharing a most memorable meal with the camping today. Amen.